I heard uh, this radio show called Hour of Slack, which is by the Subgenius people, the Church of the Subgenius. And on it, they were playing a, a rock group called the Fantastic Plastics. And then I did a search for the Fantastic Plastics. And don't worry, I got them on my show too. But then I, I, I also found you and I'm like, oh, this is cool. I, I did the whole modeling thing when I was a kid. I haven't put, a, put together a model. Well, I put one together with my kid. I did do that recently. How old is your kid? He is now seven years old, so he's not quite there yet. He's going to get more into it later. Well, he won't be until he's about 40 or 45. Hey, there you go. You know what he did? He was doing yesterday. He was putting together models on his iPad. That's sad. Yeah. He had a model kit with 82 pieces on his iPad. (laughs) So he virtually... Whoever did this app is a genius. Think about it. Because you don't have to... It's going to be 3D. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to actually um, have any kind of overhead in the way of like any kind of materials or boxes or anything. Well, you do is, is you just cat it, break it up. Yeah. Well, you must do this anyway when you're pu- when you're getting ready to put your models together when you're ready to produce them, right? Well, now now we do it in CAD. Yeah, most of them. Only then we have to have them printed, and then the prints have to be you know, finished, and then. They have to go to a casting company where we do the molds and we do the actual resin casting. But if you're just doing the CAD model and you can manipulate it and put the pieces together virtually, it's kind of the same experience, only you don't have to inhale uh, sanding fumes, you know, resin yeah. fumes in your sanding. I guess so, but then... Probably, I mean, probably, but I mean, are you going to be any happier? Because I mean, no. I don't think so. Um, it's kind of like books. Because you can't then pick it up and run around the room going, pew, 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 you know. No, and I'll, exactly. Um, and actually, uh, when I used to like hang my models from the ceiling too, that kind of thing, you know, and you can't do that either. I mean, I had, I put together this. the iPad from the ceiling. I guess you could and leave it on all the time. I had the model hang from the ceiling, but anyway, I, I mean, I found that when I put models together, I wasn't skilled enough with the glue. So I ended up with like, my hands sticking to all different parts of the model as I was trying to put the model together. And that was a big problem for me. Uh, typical rookie mistake, yeah. There you go. You have to use, like, gloves and tweezers or something, right? And, well, you don't apply the glue directly to the model. You put the, the glue somewhere else, and you get a toothpick, and you very carefully rub the model with the glue if you're using a gel-type glue, um, which you would need for the kits that I produce. But if you're using a regular polystyrene plastic, the kind of kits that you get in the store, uh, there's actually a liquid cement, which chemically bonds the pieces to each other. It very briefly melts the plastic and then allows it to reform so that that's, that's how it bonds. There were kids, eight and nine years old, that were sniffing airplane glue to get high on. These kids are responsible for turning musicians on a lot of things they never knew about, actually. So I had a fantasy how it happened. Kid is alone in his room. It's Saturday. Kid is played by George McCready. 
Well, let's see now. I'm all alone in the room, and it's Saturday. I'll make an airplane. That's what I'll do. I'll make a landcast, a good structural design. I'll get the balls wood here, cut it out, sand it off. Now a little airplane glue. I'll rub it on the rag, and uh, here now. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm getting loaded. Is this possible loaded on airplane glue? Maybe it's stuffy, and I'll call my dog over. Filica, Filica, come here, darling, and smell this rag. Smell it, you freaky little doggy. <laughs> smell the rag, Filica, Filica, Filica. <laughs> He's up there. I've done it. I'm the Louis Pasteur of junkydom. <laughs> Out of my skull for ten cents. Well, there's much work to be done now. Horses' hooves to melt down, noses to get ready. Cut to the toy store. Any toy store, any neighborhood. Kid walks in. Hello, Chandler. Nice the way you got here. <laughs> Give me a uh, nickel's worth of pencils, big boy tablet, some juju beans, tailspin Tommy book, and two thousand tubes of aeroplane glue. I hope you can sleep tonight, Mr. Lee Page. I'd like to introduce to the show Alan, who is the founder of Fantastic Plastic Models in California. Okay, so it's my understanding that you have more than 450 models that have been put together and they are somewhere in your house. They are... Some of them are in the display case behind me, which your radio listeners cannot see, your podcast listeners. Uh, but the rest are in storage because there is not enough room in the universe for all of these models. And so that's why I built the website to begin with was, I call it the Virtual Museum of Flying Wonders. And that was my display case, was the internet. Uh, Fantastic plastic would not exist either as a display or as a company if it was not for the internet. You started out, you started putting these models together, and for a while were you just like letting people come to your house and look at these? Because, I mean, you had like hundreds of models, right, all over the house. I started building models, as many of my generation did, when I was seven years old. And I would then display them in my room and like many people, including yourself, I understand, I hung them from the ceiling and I had, you know, big 172nd scale B-52 bomber on the wall over my bed like a giant crucifix, only it was a, a bomber. And then when I went to college, I put a lot of this in storage or I simply got rid of them. I kept the best builds that I had in the most exotic kits. And then once I was in college, I didn't uh, build for a while. But once I got out, I started building again. I was lucky enough when I moved back, I got married and we moved into a townhouse. We had an extra room. Ah. And I was able to just make that my, my model display. And then we moved to California and we moved to another townhouse and we had an extra room. And I made that my model display. And then we had a baby. <laughs> and I no longer had a model display. I had to put everything into storage, and everything stayed in storage. And I would build a model, and then I would put it into storage. 
And then, lo and behold, they invented this wonderful thing called the Internet. And I said, aha, now I have a place to display my models. And I went out and I started, I put together a little home photo studio and started photographing them and built a website. And over a period of several years, I was able to put all the 400 plus kits that I had assembled into a nice organized website. And that's how Fantastic Plastic Models started. That was back in 2003. And then I started the company creating the own, my own kits in 2005. I mean, back when you were putting these models together when you were in college or a kid, did you ever dream that you would be actually making your own kits that you could put together and then other people can put together too? And the answer is yes. <laughs> that was my dream. I wanted my own model kit company. You know, I'm 10 years old and I'm putting these things together and I say, wouldn't it be cool if I had my own model kit company? This is the kind of thing a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old dreams about. And, and like all this time, for all this time, you didn't let life beat you down. You just went ahead and did it. That is amazing. I had the website and I had a mailing list based on people who were subscribing to a newsletter that I would put out. At the time, also, there was an explosion in what's known as garage kit companies. These were one or two people companies, like what I would become, uh, who created their own model kits, not the kind of injection-molded polystyrene kits that you would buy at a hobby shop or at a Kmart. These are resin kits. They're handcrafted. The molds are made out of rubber. Uh, and then liquid resin is poured into them, and they are cured under pressure to get rid of bubbles and other imperfections. And they're done in very low quantities. If you do a styrene kit, you've got to do a minimum of run of like 5,000. But if you're going to do a resin kit, the standard run is anywhere from 50 to 100. They're more expensive, but at the same time, you're able to get subjects that you cannot get from regular styrene kit manufacturers. There was a subject that I wanted to do, have somebody do, it's called the Avro 730. It was a very bizarre post-World War II jet bomber project that the British had developed in the 1950s. Beautiful, beautiful aircraft, but was never actually produced. I have a mailing list. Uh, I can write, I can market. I have some money, not a whole lot. How much would it cost to hire people to make this kit? And I was on various hobby-centric websites, one in particular called Starship Modeler, which has been around forever. And I put this inquiry out. Says, who may, how much would it cost? Who could make the molds? Who could do the pattern work? And people started giving me suggestions. I found a guy to do the pattern work. Uh, aircraft engineer slash hobbyist named Scott Lothar. And I found a company that could do the casting. And the whole project was going to cost me around 
Well, that's not too, I mean, that's not as expensive as one would think it would be to produce a model kit. No, and, it's not, which I found, I thought was very affordable. And it was at least enough that I could take a risk on $2,000. And, and you'd have your model. At worst case scenario, you could just put them all together yourself. And I would have a $2,000 model of the Evro 730. <laughs> so uh, Scott Lothar put together the pattern. By hand, this was before we had CAD designs. Uh, he fashioned it himself, and I sent it to the casting company, and they created the kit, and I offered it to the people on my mailing list. And I also went on the various boards, onto hobbytalk.com and onto Starship Modeler, said, here's a really cool kit that I'm producing under my own label. Uh, and the price was what, what people, other garage kit companies were selling. Uh, for that around that price point and lo and behold they got customers and i made enough i made a little profit I said great let's do this again and i found another subject to do uh and another and another and another and by the time this thing you know was a six months old i was putting out one kid a month and the rest is history Clever device, Kong, but it'll be of no further use to you. Your friends, Flash Gordon and Dr. Zarkov, were killed in an attempted attack upon my castle. And Baron, my husband. It is unfortunate that your husband chose to join the cause of my enemies. It is also unfortunate that I had to die before reading the universe of your evil presence and placing the Princess Oro upon the throne. My daughter is no longer a princess. She is merely a prisoner of war. Do you hope to save your life by this bravado? No, Ming. I only hope to get close enough to put my hands on your throat! Too bad. Karm was a clever scientist. Take him away. I've always been a huge uh, sci-fi freak. Uh, I grew up watching the old Flash Gordon serials, which they would rerun on Saturday and Sunday mornings, you know, like at 6.30 in the morning when I was a kid, uh, back in the old Chicago, watching, watching there. Uh, of course, I was a big fan of the Irwin Allen films, uh, the Irwin Allen TV series, Lost in Space, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Time Tunnel. Uh, I was, I'm a first-generation Trekkie. I, I was there for the premiere of The Man Trap, uh, right in 1966 at Star Trek. That's the first episode. I was when Star Wars premiered. I was there on opening day for the first show. And my the story I like to tell is that we showed we showed very early because I made the mistake two years earlier of not showing up early for Jaws and could not get into the show. So. We, uh, it was only showing in a few theaters. It was only in 35 theaters around the country. And um, although I'm from the Chicago area at the time, I was living in Madison, Wisconsin, where I went to school. We came all the way down to the north shore of Chicago and went for the, the 5.30 show, which was the first show of the day. Got there at 4.30. There was nobody in line. We got in. We got the best seat in the house. By the time the movie started, the place was packed. 
And when we got out of the theater, there was a line three blocks long. Wow. That's how fast the word spread. And this was before the internet. <laughs> so I don't know how everybody figured it out so fast. You gotta, but, you, you gotta see this movie, right? Yes. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I grew up and I, I still w- was able to watch, uh, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, so you had the Flash Gordons, definitely. I watched some of those. Uh, there's another, there's this movie that sticks in my mind, but I, I, I'm drawing a blank right now. But it was actually a a Western movie. So they had horses and they're riding around. But there was this whole city, this whole futuristic city that was under the ground. It might might be called the Lost Empire. Maybe that was it because and and so it was like cowboys versus um, underground (laughs) aliens. And I remember being struck by the special effects and just how utterly bizarre it was. I believe that's called The Lost Empire, which always resonated with me because when I moved out to California, there was a section of Southern California which is called the Inland Empire. And I always thought coming out here that this is where they had the the secret alien base, where the aliens were living underground like they did in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but uh, it doesn't end well for the aliens. That's what I remember. It never does. But uh, I, I, you know what? What's fascinating? What I've discovered recently, um, and you probably know this already, is if you go on to YouTube these days, and you just Google, well, you just YouTube these uh, these movies. A lot of these movies are just there, and they're incomplete, like uncut, there to be watched. If you're going to watch a serial, though, you have to watch it as a serial. Sometimes they will actually just cut them together, but then you lose the real joy of them, which is the death trap at the end of every episode. All right. Where, where the guy, the, the hero is in the car, the brakes don't work, the car is out of control, and the car flies over the, the cliff and explodes. And then what happened? You know, our hero is dead. Well, no, because when you come back next week, the, bl- the, the brakes go out, the car approaches the cliff, the, the hero jumps out of the car, and then the car goes over the cliff. So if you, yeah, you have to see it that way to show how they how they cheated you every week to make you come back for the next one. Yeah, actually, that reminds me of when I used to watch uh, Doctor Who as a kid on PBS every week, and they used to staple all the stories. They they because each story of Doctor Who had different episodes in it, and each episode had a, had a cliffhanger at the end. So what would happen is they'd staple them all together so, you know, that the doctor would be there and that this monster would be heading towards them and he would be, they'd have the ter- this terrifying music, but then they would just go right to the resolution right away. And it was a bit of a, a downer. It was especially a downer during pledge drives because <laughs> they would go through this, they would, they would go up to the cliffhanger, they would resolve the cliffhanger, and then like five and minutes later, yeah, and then five minutes later, they, they'd want to sell you a, a, you know, a, a bath towel or a disappearing TARDIS bug. That's horrible. Yeah, well, you know. Except for no, no respect for the structure. There she goes, the Strategic Air Command supersonic B-58 bomber. And now you can own an exact plastic model, 12 inches long, of this famous swept-wing giant. It's offered by Post Sugar Crisp and Post Raisin Bran. 
you'll be proud to own this scale model and proud, too, of these junior strategic air command wings you get with every one. This model is special. The parts snap together for a perfect fit. No gluing needed. What's more, the landing gear retracts, the ailerons move, even the escape hatches open. So don't wait to get your B-58. Only 50 cents and a box top. Follow directions on the back of these special boxes of Post Sugar Crisp, delicious for breakfast or snacks, and Post Raisin Bran, the only cereal with sugar-coated raisins. Today, ask Mom for Sugar Crisp and Post Raisin Bran. Send for your B-58 bomber. What got you into modeling? Like, when you were a kid, like, what was your first model? I mean... Uh, was your dad into modeling? I mean, uh, what what motivated you? Okay, well, my father tried to get me into balsa wood modeling because mm. that's what he did as a kid. Yeah. He was raised in the, in the 30s and the 40s. They didn't have plastic. So he tried to get me into balsa wood modeling, and I did build some old Gillows kits, these big, horrible, you know, um, paper and, and balsa wood models. But this was the time when modeling was the hobby for kids, uh, which it is not today. The first model they built was a small aircraft carrier, World War II aircraft carrier, done by Lindbergh, which was the name of the company. And it was just you know, horrible, just blobs of glue and everything. Seven-year-old, what the hell? But as I got older, I became more and more fascinated not only with aircraft, but with exotic aircraft, with experimental aircraft, with conceptual aircraft, and, of course, the science fiction subjects that Aurora was putting out at the time. They had the license for Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and then Space 99 came out, and uh, MPC and the whole Star, Star Wars line. Uh, another thing that became very popular in the 1990s is a subgenre called Luft. 46, Luft standing for Luftwaffe. The Germans had all kinds of really bizarre aircraft concepts for their Wunderweppens that were going to you know, blast the allies out of the sky. The Germans were the first to have an operational jet aircraft. And of course, they put a lot of energy into rocketry. So there is a whole subgenre of what if the Germans had survived into 1946, what would they have been flying? And other garage kit companies, uh, out of especially out of Eastern Europe, have dozens and dozens of these these designs, which just drove me crazy. I had to buy every one of them, which I did. One of the advantages of being an adult is that your parents can't say you can only buy one model, and then you can build it, and then you can buy another one. I have a stash down in my garage of about fifteen hundred unbuilt model kits, and and these are only these exotic sci-fi aircraft experimental kits. That's how many are out there right now. And, and I mean, when you were uh, going through college and high school, et cetera, I mean, uh, did you, I mean, were there any clubs that you were a part of or, or did you like uh, have any friends that you did the, the modeling with or, or were you, were you just in your, in your basement all alone doing the modeling? <laughs> in, in high school, there was a friend I had who was very much also into military models, and we would you know, swap stories and uh, you know, talk, talk shop, as it were. Uh, once I got to college now, uh, I was actually heading into theater then. Oh. 
I, I was a song and dance man and put my modeling aside and focused on writing and performing musical theater. Wow. So that, I mean, you're a man of many hats. I mean, so you, you do the modeling. You, I mean, your wife is an artist and you, uh, and you did uh, musical song and dance. Did you uh, meet your wife back then when you were doing all this uh, dancing? I met and her in college. I met her in college. Uh, we just happened to live in the same dorm, uh, same private dorm called the Towers, mm. on Francis Street at University of Wisconsin Madison. Go Badgers! In person, my personal experience, I'm not much of a song and dance man, but I'd imagine that those would be pretty useful tools in my belt if I were able to break into song and do a little dance routine. I, I got to work on that, I think. She usually tells me to shut up. <laughs> Cer certainly my son does. <laughs> and Stop embarrassing me. Is your son into models these days? Does he do any of that Absolutely stuff? Absolutely not. Oh, Absolutely not. That's typical. He, he's, a child, he's a child of the 90s. Back in the 90s, I was actually hired by a publishing house to do a series of juvenile horror novels. This was back when Goosebumps was big. Oh, right, yes. And there was, there was another series called uh, you know, Scary Stories for When You're Home Alone or Scary Stories for Sleepovers. And my agent at the time hooked me up with this company called RGA Publishing, which is no longer in business. But they hired me to do one book. They liked it. They hired me to do three books, and they hired me to do 12 books. By the time the thing was over, I had published 20 books. And and you just probably used some of this uh, inspiration you got from your childhood watching these 1950s and 1960s B-movies and various horror films, right? I, that's what I would do. I'd, I'd yes, dredge well, that. Everything is scary for me. <laughs> uh, I can find horror in anything because... <laughs> Uh, I'm very much a hypochondriac. I'm very paranoid, and you know, I look I look at a piece of wood and I see a face in it, and so I can write a whole story about that. Right. I mean, anything can be scary if you look at it the right way. Have you ever had to decide between a model kit and your next meal? Have you have Have you ever has has your passion for modeling ever driven you to the point of of maybe you know living? In a, in a shack with, with just your models and, and nothing else. Fortunately, there are credit cards. <laughs> I've gone into debt over this. Right. Over this. Uh, there was a point where my wife discovered uh, how much I had spent in one particular month uh, on model kits and got very, very angry with me and hauled me up in front of our eight-year-old son and said, Look at what your father is doing. Oh, no. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Ooh. That's, that's one of the reasons I started the company was so now I have a source of income, and I use that income to pay for my hobby, and then it doesn't come out of the general fund. Um, is there any kind of big uh, uh, revelation or, or anything that you've learned or any, anything you would have maybe done differently um, you know, then how it's come along. Uh, wh what have you learned from this? Have fun. Life is short, and you're you're you're, ne you're never too old to be young. Yeah, and and there's one thing that I I might add, and that's that it's amazing how successful you can be when you don't give up playing. If there, if there is a way that you can do 
what you love, even if it's on the side, doesn't have to be the main thing you do, but you've got to have that, that passion in your life, whatever it is, if it's painting, if it's model building, if it's music, if it's dancing, that's what gives life meaning. It's not, you know, sitting in a cubicle all day, pounding out advertising copy. Do what you like to do. Find find some time in your day, some time in your week to, to be a kid. So great. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show, Alan. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been fun. Well, that's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to thank Alan Yuri from Fantastic Plastic Models for sharing some of his passion for plastic modeling with us this week. You can check out his online museum and the models he has for sale over at fantastic-plastic.com. Theme music at start and end of the show is by Chromatics Music, and it's used with permission. You'll find links to Alan's site, Chromatics Music, and all the audio samples played during the show in the show notes. Remember to give a five-star rating for the show over at iTunes. It really, really helps. If you don't have iTunes installed on your computer or phone, just find someone who does and make them do it. I'd really appreciate it. Well, thanks for listening, and do come back for the next show. Music